0: Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page, so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. Welcome. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Story Wagon. I'm your co-host, Jose Martinez, and I have with me my co-host, the Reverend Amy Shoemaker. You want to say hi, Amy?
1: Hi, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I am finally back from Germany. Uh, Yay! yay. (laughs) And so what better way to start off uh, this episode, we, we are going to, uh, since the month of May is just around the corner, we're going to speak about Mother's Day. So I just want to put out a little disclaimer out there. If you, uh, we will be talking about uh, loss in, in this episode. So if you've experienced uh, a loss like this that we're going to speak about when we're speaking about uh, young children, babies, and loss, uh, this could be a triggering episode for you. So please take care of yourself. Um, so with that, Amy, well, uh, so glad to be back with you and everything yes. else like that. And, uh, lots of things have happened these past few six months. Oh
1: my gosh. <laughs> that, I feel like that's the understatement of like, for, yeah. <laughs> I know.
0: It, it, top it all off. We have this pandemic still going on. So, well, uh, Amy, you want to kind of talk about what's been going on with you? Uh...
1: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am currently five and a half weeks post-pregnancy loss, mm. and um, it's been really, really intense, and I just had to check my calendar to confirm that, it's, that that's the amount of time that has passed, yeah. <laughs> um, because it's that the recovery, um, my recovery experience has been so on its own timeline. And so whenever I look at the calendar and count the weeks, it just feels so surreal. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so um, my wife and I, Carly, we um, started trying to conceive in November. We started um, that process with uh, at-home insemination with a known donor. And um, we decided to go the at-home route because we really wanted... To have a really sacred experience of conception, mm. I didn't want to get pregnant in a doctor's office if I didn't have to, right? Um, and so I did an at-home fertility test through Modern Fertility this summer, and that came back with green lights. Um, I'm 36; I'll be 37 at the end of May, and so you know, I was like not sure what was gonna what the result was gonna be, um, but the results were good and. So then we got in contact with our, you know, we got our donor on board and did all of the DNA testing and his fertility testing and the legal stuff. And um, then in November, we were all the, you know, all those, that checklist was all checked off. And so we started trying and um, that was a really stressful process. Um, I had this really strong... I just felt this intense pressure that I had to do it perfectly right. Mm. Um, and so like testing ovulation and then deciding in that sort of ovulation sort of arc, deciding when to inseminate, all of that was just really, really stressful and I wanted it to be fun and it was stressful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um... And I mean, there were mo- there were really beautiful, wonderful moments in, in that process. Um, but I was really scared.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't. I couldn't identify at the time that I was feeling fear. But that's what I was feeling was this fear that I was going to mess it up. Wow. This fear that something I, some choice that I made, was going to prevent us from becoming parents. Mm-hmm. Which is a ton of pressure right. to, like, put on myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I just couldn't escape that narrative, that story, that, that pressure that, that I was going to do something wrong. Mm. Um, and so then when, and then every period, every, every time I bled, it was just, like, so many feelings. Going through so many feelings. Um, and I had built up over those few months of, of really intense resentment toward my body. And I didn't realize that that's what I was embodying. Like, all of this was kind of happening in that place before words. (laughs) (laughs) And I wasn't quite conscious of it because we're also in the midst of a pandemic. And, you know, there's a lot going on. Right. So then um, in February, we got our first positive pregnancy test. And it was our fourth cycle trying. Like, it was our fourth month trying. And we were so, it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is possible. We can do this. Yay, positive pregnancy test. And the excitement lasted like for me maybe a breath before absolute terror set in. Mm-hmm. And I knew the statistics about pregnancy loss. I knew how likely it was, um, which is 20 to 30%. Um, and it like that's what was on my mind. Yeah. Um, it's it was the primary thing that I could think about, mm. and that energy of I'm going to do something wrong, that I had during the conception process, got even stronger during the during pregnancy. Um, I was just really afraid of everything that was going into my body, like you know. <sighs> Just totally irrational fears about, like, about um, you know some random thing that I could do to mess it all up, mm. um, and and I could not imagine life post pregnancy loss. So like here I am in my first week of pregnancy, you know, like I wanted it to be a magical time, <laughs> and I. I, you know, I did these meditations where um, this meditation facilitator was like, you know, trying to facilitate this attachment, you know, like attaching to the baby, attaching to your womb, sending love into that space, blah, blah, blah. And I just could not, I like, I could do it for a couple of breaths. Oh, wow. Okay. And then fear was set in. But I didn't know it was fear at the time. It just felt like resistance in my body. Mm. Like, um, I could turn toward love and attachment and excitement for, you know, a couple of seconds. And then it was like, and then all this fear would come in, and then I'd just avoid. It was just, okay, let me change, let me pay attention to something else. And so then I would focus. Like it was like this hyper focus on okay you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. So it was like this hyper vigilance on, well, these are the things I can change. These are the choices I can make to like, make to like, uh, you know, maximize the potential of this pregnancy or whatever. And it was all in my head. Like I was in my head for that whole, that, that whole first week. Mm. Um, Partially because I have really I have irregular, heavy, difficult periods, Mm. and my positive pregnancy test was day twenty nine of my cycle, and I can my period sometimes doesn't start until day thirty five, and so even though I had a positive pregnancy test, I had trouble believing that I was pregnant because I I was still in my sort of range of when I could start bleeding. I see. And so it wasn't until that following, you know, until we got past 35 days was when I finally contacted my midwife and I was like, okay, I guess this is a real thing now. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, so, you know, I, 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 I can say all of this very clearly today. I did not have, I did not have the clarity then that I have now. I know now that I was in fear. Right. I didn't know it at the time. Okay. I felt overwhelmed And I felt overwhelmed. And what I do with overwhelm is I break things down into smaller pieces, into smaller steps, and I pay attention to the smallest step. And that is my self-care in the midst of overwhelm. Mm. So I was taking care of myself by focusing on, okay, this is my next meal. This is my next exercise. This is my next meditation, you know? And so I was focusing on the next step, um, to, to In order to not be completely overwhelmed. And I can tell now that the overwhelm was about fear. Mm. But I didn't know that at the time. I just felt overwhelmed. Yeah. So um, two and a half weeks after our positive pregnancy test, so six and a half weeks into pregnancy, um, I went on a walk with my sister. Well, I, I woke up and my breasts weren't tender. And that was a really intense... Like I had, a, I felt like I had rocks in my breasts, <laughs> um, uh, since, you know, that was like a really big pregnancy symptom that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a little bit of nausea as well, but as long as I, as long as my stomach stayed full, I was fine. Um, some food aversions, stuff like that. So I woke up. It was a Monday morning, and um, I left to go for a walk with my sister, and I noticed that my breasts weren't tender. And I was like, well, that's weird. And then, um, but I didn't really think too much, you know, I, because I couldn't imagine life post-pregnancy loss, I couldn't make the connection I see. Uh-huh. that the absence of breast tenderness might be a signal of something. Uh. So then I went on a walk with my sister and I was tired, but I'd been tired and I, you know, um, got home and went to the bathroom and, um, and there was... There was brown um, spotting in my underwear mm-hmm. where there had previously just been clear or nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And immediately, I, my heart just sank wow. to the floor.
2: Yeah,
1: Like, my heart sank through the floor into the center of the earth. <laughs> and... Spotting is normal during pregnancy. Spotting is not an an absolute indicator that miscarriage is imminent or that that loss is imminent. Some people have spotting through their entire pregnancy. I see. Some people have light bleeding through their entire pregnancy. And so I started texting all of my friends. (laughs) Right. Who had ever given birth? Uh-huh. And I was like, "Did you have spotting during your pregnancy?" Because <laughs> there's also implantation bleeding that can happen. So, like, with the development of the placenta and the further implantation of the embryo and the development of the like, it's it's not uncommon to have some spotting. Um, and so I texted all of my friends, and none of them had had any spotting except for Amy Fury, who was on our
0: oh the last episode.
1: podcast yeah, yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, and You know, so I felt reassured talking with her because it's one thing to read, you know, an article online that says this is normal, and it's another to like actually talk to someone who's been through it, Mm -hmm. right? There's a very big difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, this was Monday, Um, uh, Monday evening. I had a session with my energy worker, and she was like, she was like, you look really dehydrated. She was like, hydration, fatigue. You know, she was like yeah I'm seeing a lot going on And I was like okay so I committed to spending the next you know couple of days really in bed um, doing some intense hydration and rest um, bed rest working from my bed <laughs> um, and I reached out to my midwife that night and she was kind of like well so far it sounds like everything's you know there's nothing alarming in what you're describing so mm-hmm. we'll just see what happens mm-hmm. I was like okay And, like, the spotting would get heavier, and then it got lighter again, and then it got heavier again. Um, And by Tuesday afternoon, it had gotten heavier and stayed heavier. Um, Still not, like, not anywhere near what I would experience during a period or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. just this, you know. Anyway, so... um, By Tuesday afternoon, it wasn't going away, and it wasn't resolving, Um, and I was having more pain. Um, I was having pain, like, in my pelvis, like, around my uterus, um, and in my, and a little bit, like, in my, just, yeah, in my pelvis. I don't know how else to describe it, and so um, just an achiness, and so my midwife was like, okay, come in for an ultrasound, Um, because my, my first appointment with her wouldn't have been until week eight or nine. And this was, we were in week seven at this point. Um, and so I went in and she did an ultrasound and there was a gestational sac and she saw an embryo in the sac and visually everything looked fine. Um, we didn't hear a heartbeat, but that's not uncommon at that stage. And she said that basically in order to hear a heartbeat, um, we would need a transvaginal ultrasound um, and I just that just I didn't I didn't need to I didn't need to know bad enough to go through mm-hmm. the discomfort and um, sort of what's the word like violation of a transvaginal ultrasound mm. um, because there's a wand that they use and they go into your vagina Wow And, um, basically they press the wand like up against your cervix to, to like be able to get a good picture. Ah. Um, and so I was like, I don't want, you know, I was like, I don't need to hear a heartbeat bad enough to go through that. Um, and that is a routine procedure during pregnancy, but Mm. I just was not into it. And I picked a midwife and home birth because I didn't want that level of intervention. Anyway, so, um, you know, basically our visit to the midwife was inconclusive, uh, and it was a wait and see type thing. Mm-hmm. So went home. Um, at this point, I was in enough pain that I needed some Tylenol to kind of take the edge off of it. Um, and my final dose of Tylenol was like 730, like the you know, the final dose I could have within that 24-hour period. And I knew I had to be asleep by 1145 because that's when the Tylenol would wear off and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to sleep in the pain that I was in. Mm. So, um, so I went to sleep at like 9.30. And then I woke up at 11.30.
0: Oh. <laughs> Gee, many Christmas.
1: Yeah, so I woke up at 11.30 and um, I was in so much pain. Um, and like it felt like something was squeezing my pelvis. Um, I had pain in my back. I had pain all throughout my pelvis. Um, And I started to panic because I didn't know what was happening. And I couldn't imagine nine more months of that. Like, I mean, you know, eight more months. I couldn't imagine (laughs) Mm -hmm. another 34 weeks of pain and spotting and And this uncertainty, this deep uncertainty about what was going on. Right. Um, And so I think I turned on a couple, like an episode of the West Wing or something because that's my like go to sleep show. And (laughs) that was on and I was just watching it on my phone, um, breathing through the pain. And then I just hit this limit and I was like, I need there's some like I have to do something there's something else that has to happen here and so I followed my intuition which brought the name Pema Chodron into my mind (laughs) this is so bizarre but Pema Chodron is a a Buddhism teacher whose work I've referenced many times in my life and I was like I was like I need to hear Pema and so I looked up on Spotify like podcast episodes where she was present Mm. and there was one called compassionate abiding and i i was longing to respond to my pain differently in that moment because i was responding to my pain with anger and fear and just a meanness
2: Mm.
1: like i felt really mean toward my body right and i knew that i was i could also feel myself holding on and i knew that that wasn't gonna work and I needed some other way to respond to my pain. So I thought about the Zen Buddhism and the... Um, or she's Tibetan Buddhist. But anyway, I thought about her teachings about self, self-love and loving kindness and things like that. And so I turned on this Compassionate Abiding podcast. And I listened to it. And she facilitated this meditation in which um, she... You know, it's breathing, and da-da-da. And then she, she used the word kindness. Um, so I was listening to this meditation, and she invited me to be kind. She invited me into kindness. Mm-hmm. And that clicked. Okay. That clicked for me. Like, it resonated so deeply. And I just... I was like, okay, kindness, kindness, kindness. So I started rubbing my belly. I started rubbing my back. I started breathing. You know, I followed her breathing instructions. Um, and then layer after layer after layer of fear came up. Um, came into my consciousness. And I met every single layer of fear with compassion, with loving kindness, and eventually i got to the core fear i i moved through all of these layers of fear into fear of death i i wasn't afraid that i was dying that's not what it was about
0: okay
1: i was afraid of losing this child i was afraid of losing this pregnancy mm-hmm. That's the death that I was afraid of. Yeah. And my body knew that it was already there. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: My body knew that there was death in my womb. Mm -hmm. And I had to accept that cognitively, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Uh, um, And... So I got to that root, that depth, that root fear of death. And I had to accept that there was death in my body. I had to accept the death of this pregnancy. I had to accept my own death. Because this was not only a death of this pregnancy, it was a death of the person I was in that pregnancy. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that person needed to die. (laughs) 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 Like... Whew, I, I, that was the level of fear that I was embodying was not sustainable. Um, but I got to this point of this deep acceptance of death mm. that I I didn't even know I was afraid of. Mm. Like, um, and it was about an hour later that things progressed. The the, the cramping got worse and and centralized into like contractions and um i ended up throwing up and um passing tissue in the shower and all kinds of really difficult things um but once the tissue started to pass started once the tissue started to leave my body i felt fine yeah the pain was gone the nausea was gone my fear was gone like mm-hmm. it was this i had crossed the threshold mm-hmm. of this rite of passage wow. and I finished my shower and I got back in bed and I went back and forth to the bathroom a few more times and um, this all happened between like 4 a.m and about 5:30 um, that that like the actual like labor and birth process happened um, and then about 5:30 I like crawled into bed. To rest and came into the knowing of what had just happened. Wow. Because as it was happening, I was in the moment and I was just responding to my body. I was in this <clears throat> I've learned now that in birth your neocortex shuts off. Okay. And you're really going on instinct. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's that's the state that I was in at that time was a just a full on <sighs> um full-on 100% presence to what my body wanted, what my body needed, and a full surrender to what my body was doing. Mm. Um, And it was really freeing to have that kind of trust in my body in the moment.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, So it was once I got back in bed that I started to really weep because my brain kind of switched back on Uh And could make meaning from the experience, Uh and I knew that the pregnancy was lost. And about seven a.m., I texted my midwife and sent her pictures, and (laughs) um, you know she was like, "Yes, everything you're showing me is consistent with a pregnancy loss." And I said, "Okay," Um, and. I immediately texted everyone who knew we were pregnant. I immediately emailed the leadership at the church and just said, I'm out of the office. (laughs) You know, you won't see me until next week, basically. Um, And luckily my music coordinator was already ready to facilitate worship and someone else was already teaching. And so all of that was already taken care of. Um, But I, I just felt... I was so miserable for those three days that while the, while the loss is devastating, it was also a kind of relief
2: mm-hmm.
1: that what I was experiencing was death, that the bleeding and the pain and all of that wasn't my body's way of being pregnant. Right. It was my body's way of moving through and moving beyond this pregnancy Mm -hmm. Um, and the next few days I kind of stayed in that liminal space of deep presence and awareness and friendship to myself and attending to my heart and my pain Mm -hmm. Um, and a shift away from any sense that I'm broken and need to be fixed mm-hmm. um, because with my difficult periods I'd always, ha- always had this mentality that there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. and that we needed to troubleshoot it and fix it this very technical mechanical mentality about my womb and that carried into pregnancy and through I through the birth through that first trimester birth experience I realized and felt how false that is. How false that mentality has been. Mm -hmm. Because my body, I am an animal. My body is nature. My body is organic. And my body needs love. I was so focused on giving myself the right foods, according to the pregnancy blogs, and I wasn't able to give my body the love that was needed. Mm -hmm. And so... In those first few days post pregnancy loss, that's all I had for myself was love. Wow, and just endless compassion. Okay.
0: Wow, well, there's lots of things that I kind of want to explore <laughs> with your with your story. Uh, well, thank you for sharing number one. So I kind of want to go back to this the the fear. Yeah. Um you know there was a there was a moment in in the conversation that you were talking about irrational fear Mm -hmm. but to me sometimes fear is just fear there's no irrational about it there's there's something yeah have you thought about that even more like what was what was going on with that and with that we have to end part one with Reverend Amy Shoemaker on perinatal loss and fear I want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in and supporting us on this podcast. And please tune in next month as we go into part two and explore deeper concerns about the grief and loss and fear that comes with perinatal loss. But until then, this is your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, wishing you good spiritual health.